So how are you? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I can talk about this. It's uh, it's a bit personal, but uh, you know, there's there's a happy ending to it. So I uh, I was having this really insane allergic reaction to something for the past month and I couldn't figure it out. I was uh, breaking out in um, little red itchy bumps um, on my arms and legs. And, you know, we, we thought maybe the, the dog had fleas, but the dog didn't have fleas. We thought, you know, God forbid we had bed bugs, but, you know, we checked and there were no bed bugs and I hadn't stayed anywhere that had bed bugs. And so, uh, you know, no changes to, um, to laundry detergent, none of that. So we were at a loss and it got so bad. The itching got so bad once that I had to go to an urgent care and they gave me a steroid, um, pack and some, uh, hydroxazine for, for itching and, you know, said, you need to go see somebody. So I did that. And the steroids, I don't know how often, or I'm sure a lot of people out there have had to go through, you know, the, the take four a day, three a day, two a day steroid cycle. But, um, for me, it uh, I ballooned when, you know, when I say balloon, but I gained weight like really rapidly. I gained like 10 pounds in, in a week and a half. And it was, uh, didn't make me feel good at all. And as soon as I was done with them, the itching came back and I couldn't figure out. So Happy, the happy ending to this story is I saw a doctor and uh, um, uh, <laughs> it was just really bad dry skin. <laughs> wow. And I got uh, vitamin C supplements. Uh, I was told to start using a moisturizer. And after three <laughs> days of it, after three days of it, it's like, it, it's, it's awesome because it's gone. But then you also feel like just an insane idiot for going a month like this and i didn't i didn't know dry skin could give you bumps like that you know an itch and and things like that and uh yeah you feel like an idiot you feel like a, a big fat idiot for <laughs> for do, for going through all that pain and and taking you know taking medicine that you shouldn't have been taking and and just uh and then realizing that all you needed was lotion <laughs> <laughs> How many home runs did you have, though? Oh yeah, that's the that is the good thing is uh, my batting average um, jumped up twenty five points, and uh, and I can you know I got about ten more feet on my on my um, pull hitting to left field, so that was good. Yeah, your con your next contract is going to be really good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, you know just uh, just have to watch out for the random testing and and stuff, but right. Yeah. Yeah. No. So you ask, how am I doing? That's, that's how I'm doing. I'm doing a lot better right now. I'm about four days into moisturizer therapy. And, uh, I gotta say, you know, I, you know, my wife's always used moisturizer and, and, uh, I've never, you know, I don't know a lot of men and I'm not making this a men women thing. I'm just saying, I don't know a lot of friends of mine who are regular moisturizer users, but I gotta say, man, after four days, having, having not dry skin and having smooth skin. I, I see it, man. I, 
I'm I'm pro moisturizer now. This might be something I do the rest of my life. Are you a Pond's cold cream man? Nah, I think I'm a Target brand gotcha. unscented. You know, <laughs> unscented. I don't, know. I don't. Yeah, it's got to be unscented because uh, we're not we're not a perfume cologne family, and so. Um, oh I man, you got to get some some lavender or something in there. Yeah, even that. That's that's too. Um, I don't mind lavender, but we're not, we're not a big we're not big on smells in my family. So I see. I think the last time I wore cologne, I was 21, and I probably wore too much of it back then. Which I think yeah. we've talked about before. I have. If, if you're over 26 and you're wearing cologne, you should probably re- revisit that decision. Hmm. I um the last time I wore cologne wasn't I was older than 26 but it was a uh a gift. I mean regularly I mean regularly well yeah. I I had uh some high karate that was gifted to me <laughs> so I was gonna make use of that it's uh the high karate's all gone though okay so yeah that's that's how it's going but uh but, but everything else is good how about you good. um you know just ranting just ranting. Who's uh who's our guest today? Our guest is my friend. Uh, I had to call him in the interview. I called him Doctor David Watson, but to me, he's was that was that tough for you? It wasn't tough. It's not like I begrudge him his uh, <laughs> his his credentials that he that he worked very hard to earn. But he, he's he's Dave to me. But uh, he's he's had a hell of an achievement in in not only earning his doctorate but um, authoring his first book which uh, which we discuss. I'm really looking forward to reading it. It's called Truth to Post-Truth in American Detective Fiction, a title that he uh, says that he did not come up with, but he acknowledges that his title was, was even more complicated. Um, but it seems really interesting. I like detective fiction like you do and detective movies and detective TV shows and, and using that as sort of a... Um, a lens through which to view the concept of, of truth and and post-truth as the era that we're apparently living in now is called the post-truth era. Using detective framework to view that through is, I think, a really cool concept. I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. I did like the part of the interview where you called him Dr. Watson. He said, no, Gordon, I've known you forever. Call me Dr. David Watson. <laughs> <laughs> Dave uh, did tell me before the interview that he wanted to, um, you know, cut off my questions and shout things like you were, you were told that was off limits. Um, so I, I had to edit the most adversarial parts out, but I think it's a good interview. And, and I, uh, I hope that his book gets traction and I hope that he keeps writing. It is neat. And I know you've done this over the years. I've done it over the years when you have a friend who you you just know personally but then in our line of work you end up saying hey you you've got you know a really good story or you know a really good achievement and then you have to interview that friend it it uh it's a neat experience because it, it it's a different kind of talking to somebody is when you're interviewing them rather than you know just just talking to them so right it, it can be pretty cool So, our guest on the Prince of the Rant podcast today is is Dr. David Watson, a humanities instructor at CCCC, who's just published his first book, Truth to Post-Truth in American Detective Fiction. 
Welcome, Dave. Thanks. Good to be here. I didn't come up with the title of the book either. So. Oh, you didn't? No, my title was actually worse and more pretentious, if you can believe that. <laughs> and uh, they basically said, you know, people have to be able to find this thing on the end or Google. So we need to shorten it up. Right, right. Well, I mean, like, just talk about how this came about. I know you recently got your doctorate within the last couple of years, right? But yeah, yeah. writing a book, I mean, is this just something that you had the idea to do? Did somebody approach you about it? How does this, how does this come together? Well, so, uh, you know, you have to write a dissertation to get a PhD. Right. And uh, as, you know, my journey through the, my PhD program was uh, long and, and, and interrupted. And so as uh, fate would have it, I, I spent a large amount of time in 2015 uh, in a hospital and there's not much to do uh, except watch TV. And so I basically saw the whole 2015 run up. Um, so uh, that was a simpler time. Uh, uh, hospital stay notwithstanding, that seems like yeah. it was yeah. a simpler time. In retrospect, it certainly does. At the time, it didn't feel so much like that. Right. Um, and so uh, I got interested, my backgrounds in like philosophy and rhetoric. So I get interested in the way people talk about stuff. And so when the discourse started uh, using words like post-truth or fake news, um, that that gave me an idea, which was uh, fortunate because the hardest thing about the PhD was coming up with a problem to have enough to say about. So essentially, I was trying to figure out how we had gotten to a point that it sounded like people were talking about uh, as though they lived in two completely different worlds, like different right. realities that had different rules and structures. And so uh, to find a way to talk about that without getting into really abstract ideas of truth that I don't find so useful, I wanted to talk about detectives because a detective either has to solve a case or not. It doesn't matter what language they speak, what culture they're from, any of that other stuff, you're either going to solve it or not. And so I started with Poe and chose books from different periods up until the present to try to sort of see the background assumptions about truth and how they could gather consensus. Um, I'm not like saying that things were simpler then or anything of the sort, but I'm saying the way they imagined their world when they wrote about it is different than the way we imagine our world and write about it. Mm -hmm. If that makes any kind of sense. Right. And so, um, I mean, is this, is this something that you're going to be teaching in your courses or? So I certainly would never teach my own book. That, that just doesn't sound like anything anyone should do. Uh, I had a professor one time do that, and it was it was very strange. It's a sort of a long story. But that, I, that happened to me. To, yeah, that happened to me at East Carolina. I had a it was like a capstone psychology course, and I remember seeing the professor's name on the book, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm not going to be able to fool this guy." <laughs> Mine was in an intro to philosophy or an intro to world religions class, and the professor was a Buddhist and he wrote a book and he didn't use his name. He referred to himself as Blowing Rock, like the town near Boone, coincidentally enough. Okay. But when he referred to the text, he would say, let's see what Blowing Rock has to say. <laughs> as though it was like Superman and Clark Kent, you know, like, you know, we know who you are. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was very strange. <laughs> so yeah, I would never do that. But um, so, but, I do teach um, 
this essay I, I make my students write where I, I make them explain an argument uh, and not take a side in it. So I tell them to pick something that, you know, reasonable people are debating and I get to define reasonable people. So right. like if you think the world's flat, you're not reasonable in my world or whatever. Uh, and then I make them do research to support two sides of a position. Uh, the idea being I want them to understand positions they don't believe in as opposed to just thinking people who disagree are just sort of maniacal and evil or something like that. Right. So this is an academic text. And one of the things that I see you post about a lot is the uh, the, uh, the the high price of, of, of obtaining your work and reading it. Yeah, Can you talk about how that works? It's really expensive. I, I, I feel very guilty. <laughs> I, mean, I had nothing to do with it. It's just the nature of the beast. But uh, yeah, it's well, $119 on barnesandnoble.com right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, is that just because the, the supply for academic texts is yeah, there's a I mean, lower it's number really of them? Just, you know, I mean, uh, my my editor has to make a real salary just like John Grisham's editor and the so forth and so on up up a structure but you know what they're putting out are very limited runs you know uh there's only a select few people who are going to be interested in both you know the idea of, of truth and detective fiction and you know I mean I'm selecting text to use for my argument you know this isn't like uh the history of detective novels or anything of the sort. Right. Right. Well, what drew you to detective fiction? I, I guess if you're going to study truth or there's a number of different directions you can go. Interesting sure. that it's very interesting actually that, that um, you chose detective fiction. So um, what, what was the thought behind that? Well, so I guess like in my idea, I don't think people go so much from like truth to falsity or something like that. I think people go from doubt to belief. And I think uh, what the detective sort of in a symbolic way uh, has that structure, right? So there's a, in a you know classic detective story, there's a murder or something like that in the beginning. We have doubt. We, we, we wonder who did it, but we also have doubt about the moral order and, and all of that sort of stuff, right? And the idea is by the end, it's not a mystery anymore. Our doubts resolved and you have closure. And that process is basically how I think uh, you can talk about truth and get somewhere um, as opposed to other models that have been popular uh, to try to locate truth. Uh, this I don't want to get too inside baseball, but to think truth is like a, a proxy, like a you know, um, that I'm sort of imprisoned by my language and that truth can't get through that if we spoke a different language or cultural relativism, the idea that culture is sort of a prison and I can't get through it, right? I think the belief in those things causes a lot of the reality of those things. But I think if you could uh, sort of get, uh, just stop believing in the idea that you're in a bubble, basically, right. uh, it would be a lot easier to get out of the overview it states that the detective's ultimate job is to take the reader from doubt to belief yeah um uh, i one of the things i i enjoy about detective novels is uh is usually these detectives are very um there's a lot of inner inner turmoil in the detectives and, and their personal lives often get you know yeah, yeah. often become the story more so maybe than even the uh the the story itself so um i was just uh did does that play at all into 
into uh, into your book, the the uh, the inner turmoil of a detective? I don't deal a whole. I almost deal with the uh, the fact that uh, outside of say like addiction or something like that, Sherlock Holmes almost doesn't have an inside. You know, right. he's just sort of a calculating machine. Right. Uh, and you know, Poe's created this character like C. August Dupin is the model, and it's it's the rational detective who does things like sit around in a dark room and smoke a pipe and know what you're about to say because he reads your thoughts. He's so rational or something like that. And uh, so it was almost the, the lack of uh, the, that sort of representation in the early sort of works. You know, if I think now, you know, I write about like the wire later. I mean, that you could, that gets a little more into the city and the, the inside, but I'm still not dealing with, uh, you know, the, the personality so much of the detective. And the wire, they create their own crimes and they, they manufacture the crime to get to the. <laughs> yeah, I, I write about that, it, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's sort of been one of the moves in detective fiction, if you sort of trace it from, let's say, the early 20th century to like the post-Cold War, what's usually called like postmodernism. Uh, you know, in Poe's world, you detect something, something happened and it's out there. In the postmodern world, it's like it's like a production, or it might be you're part of a you know. It's like it's almost like the only satisfying answer for like the JFK assassination would be like if Oliver Stone somehow was in it and his film JFK was in fact part of the cover up or something like that. Right. Like that's you know a very kind of different model, I guess. Well, even I mean, I can see that being reflected in modern political culture, where these there there are in quote unquote investigations and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, citizen you know, sleuth, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. How does um, how does an idea for a dissertation and a dissertation become a book? Is this something you had to pitch to somebody? Did somebody read your dissertation and say you could expand on this and make it make it into a book? How did that work? Yeah, yeah. So um, me and uh, uh my uh, dissertation director, uh, Christian Mararu, who I owe tons for this, just a, a wonderful scholar. And, and uh, when we started to talk about this, like, let's write something that we think can get published, which, uh, you know, if anyone's ever went through dissertation titles, I mean, you know, right, some of them are very, very, very specific. Right. Um, and so since I was framing this um, in terms of like uh, 2015, alternative facts, stuff like that. And the publisher, oh, I'm sorry. So uh, after I had the dissertation, um, since it was on something that was relevant, uh, I sent it off to uh, uh, Palgrave, who has a, a imprint called Crime Files. And uh -huh. so uh, basically they said, you know, uh, we need about a hundred more pages or something like that. Uh, and you know you've got to de-dissertationize it, right? You you you've got to make it. You know, dissertations sound like dissertations. In fact, make it, they're, make it more accessible. Yeah, well, it's not it's not really making it more accessible because it's still written for, you know, an academic community. But right. literally, you're taking out phrases like this dissertation argues, I and you. you're structuring it more like a, uh, a book, right? The, the structure changes a little bit. The content changes too. And I, I had to, you know, add, uh, added a big chapter about the Cold War and added a big chapter about uh, basically 
January 6th until right up until the summer. I tried to make it as current as possible, which, uh, so yeah, basically they liked the idea. They thought, you know, it would, uh, be interesting. Then they send it off to, uh, uh, readers for peer review. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, well-received and, and, and people, you know, had good uh, things to add and, and, and stuff, but, uh, in general, they, they seem pretty happy with it. How long? I mean, I've, of course, found typos and, and you know, stuff well, that makes me cringe, but yeah. Right. <laughs> Welcome to, yeah. Yeah. But uh, how long is the process from, from start to finish? I think, so, I, in terms of the submitting it to the publisher, they went pretty quick. I think I submitted it maybe a year and a half ago or something like that. Um and the deadline, I got them the dis, the my draft August first, so it's that's it got published. I don't know a month ago, maybe uh-huh. three weeks ago or something. So they turned it around pretty quickly, which was nice. Very cool. Are, are you all said and done? It was probably maybe three years of work or something like that, and you know, wow. twenty years of reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, did you include anything on? Um... The Big Lebowski, because that is. <laughs> Man, I wanted, I wanted to. This, I, I so I wrote about um, uh, the Big Sleep, right? Which is what. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna mess up names, and I wanted to connect that back, and I just there just wasn't a place for it. Right. Uh, so in the the chapter that I w- would have it would have fit, I ended up writing about uh, a fantastic novel called The City in the City, and uh, Jonathan Lethem's not his last novel, what it was at the time, The Feral Detective and um, The Wire and something else. <laughs> and uh, maybe House of Leaves. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows that book by uh, Mark Z. Danielewski, but I usually say it's like the greatest thing I've read in the last 20 years. I'm going to have to look for that. Yeah, I'm going to have to look for that. Do you have um, Do you have uh, any desire to... Well, maybe desire is the wrong word. Do you have plans for another book yet? Or are you, uh, are you sleeping it off right now? So, um, well, yeah. So after I finished it, I immediately wanted to do, cause it, I need a project projects. Give me order. makes me wake up in the morning and I, and I know what I'm going to do that day and that sort of stuff. So yeah, I've got some other ideas. I've got a a book chapter accepted for, uh, on police and policing in the 21st century, I'm going to write about artificial intelligence and and why I don't necessarily think it's going to be able to do what they think it will be able to do. I think there's some assumptions about how human beings are situated in the world that uh, don't get figured into some thinking that that has larger implications. Right. Um, When you say that you uh, I mean, this is going off topic, but you say uh, artificial intelligence and you, you think that it may not be able to do what they think it'll be able to do do you mean what people fear it may be able to do there's a lot of fear yeah yeah so so i I think um the the idea that you would be able to let's say the example i'm using is like police robots you know boston dynamics had a police dog out i've seen a few other companies make these little patrol bot kind of things And, and it seems to me that uh the the goal is eventually uh you know we would see them i mean i i don't I've got paranoid ideas, but it's usually like I, I would, 
I, I would imagine a scenario maybe where, you know, something gets deployed somewhere else in some act of war or something like that. And pretty soon we end up seeing a, some kind of police something in, in situations where protests are up or something. Um, but, you know, uh, human beings are situated and there's so many assumptions we don't have to think about. Like there's a million truths right now that we could talk about, you know, but I don't have to tell us that what's important is like what, what you say and what you say and what I say. And I don't talk about the guitar in the back of Gordon's picture, or I don't talk about the dust on, you know, all of these other irrelevant things. Mm -hmm. Humans just kind of know what's relevant and what's not. And it's hard to explain how you learn situatedness. You know, if I toss a ball at you, you kind of just know how much it weighs. There's not a rule in your head that says, you know, here's how I catch balls when they're thrown in. <laughs> right. But, you know, a robot's going to need all of that in my head. And so I, I feel like uh, that, that there's this sort of gap there that's going to be very unsettling if, if you couldn't solve that, if you're going to ask, ask it to now, um, you know, command people to do or do not things. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, Dave, I appreciate you joining us, man. I can't wait yeah. to read this book. I've got about a hundred pages left in the thing that I'm currently reading and your, your book is next. And I, I don't know how to review any kind of book, uh, particularly an academic text, but I'm going to try for an upcoming edition. Of yeah, no, I, 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 I think it's a, I, I try my best to write like a human being. I mean, I sort of despise academic texts that are written for, you know, to, for obscurity. Right. So. I hope it's read, readable. Is it going to be stocked at the uh, CCCC library? Yes, there's going to be uh, one in each of the campuses. Very cool. Very cool. And if uh, if other people are interested in checking it out, how can they um, how can they find it? Well, it's um, there is a chapter that's for free right now on Springer Link. If you you know Google typed in this on Springer, uh, uh -huh. Palgrave is an imprint of Springer Link now. Um, or Springer Nature, rather. Uh, it's on Amazon at, you know, an unfortunate cost again. Um, right. And Barnes and & Nobles and everywhere else. Uh, next year, there will be a softback edition, which should drop the price down. Uh, okay. Which will hopefully make it more affordable. And also, there's times where, like, uh, Palgrave has, like, everything on the site is $25 and stuff like that. So okay. I will certainly try to make that known when it happens. Awesome. Well, Thanksgiving is coming up next week, and uh, and uh, it is my favorite holiday of the year. And so, uh, so I'm happy about it. One of the things going on in Sanford right now, and you've been here longer than I have, and uh, but I've been here 15 years now, and I gotta say that the fall that we're having. The, the foliage that we're having this has to be the best longest foliage we've had in this region of the state in my 15 years here and I don't know if you notice you care about that kind of stuff but it's been gorgeous and it's stuck around we're almost at Thanksgiving now and we still have at least 75 percent leaf um, stability going on right now and uh, I gotta say I'm a big fan yeah, you're a fall guy. You're the guy in the onion story who, you know, Mr. Autumn Man. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. I care about fall to the extent that um, 
the leaves that come off all the trees in my yard become a huge pain for me to continually blow off of the uh, off of the driveway in the yard. I um, had four gigantic piles of leaves at the end of this past weekend that I spent a long time blowing down to the edge of the of the yard. Um, they got picked up, I think, Wednesday, and my yard is already completely covered again. I hate this. Um, you must not have trees in your yard. No, well, um, you know where I used to live? Mm-hmm. We we were raking the entire winter. It was never-ending cycle of leaves, and it, and it got insane. I live in an area now where there's a few more pine trees, and mm-hmm. so those aren't as bad. But yes, we are currently covered in leaves, but they're they're gorgeous and uh i'm I'm not gonna rake them just yet you're not really supposed to rake do you know that did like yeah it's like bad for bees or something right it's not it's bad for bees uh it it, you rake up all the uh all the squirrels winter you know storage and and uh yeah you're supposed to i mean you're not supposed to you suppose you can do whatever you want but it i guess it's better for 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 your biodiversity in your little yard if you hold off on raking them until until the winter i mean for right now i think my plan is to just keep leaves off of the walkway and the driveway until they're all off the trees and then and then i'll get them down to the yard do it all at once yeah well for all for all you foliage fans out there you've uh you're you got to be with me we don't we don't always get this good color and, and you know we some of the some of the years um, you have a storm come through and it just knocks everything down too. And we haven't had that. So, um, so yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, we've had a lot of, uh, we have not podcasted with more frequency. Like we said, we would last time. I uh, still intend to get back to that, but we've had a lot of, uh, I'm looking at our website and we've had a lot of news since um, the beginning of the month. This is, um, you know, I mean, the, we've obviously talked about the the holiday events that are coming, but um, you know, there's been lots to report about when it comes to local government. Um, this whole redistricting fiasco at the county level has been um, even the, the the plan passed, but there have still been reverberations, so to speak. Well, um, they the the big reverb has been um, the recent vote led by Republican commissioner, county commissioner, Bill Carver, who wanted to go back and uh, he wanted to go back and change on the record something that he had said at a previous meeting. And it's something that uh, our the rant's own Richard Sullins has written about. It's something that Harold's written about. And it looks like it's something that um, that other people outside of the county are interested in because they're interested in, in what's going on with the redistricting here, but uh, wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, they voted uh, on October 18th to officially change the minutes when for when he was talking about um, redistricting local local districts. And that that vote uh, that vote was more recent. That vote was this month, but the minutes were from October 18th. That's, I'm sorry. Yeah. That was, yeah. I have the story in front of me and uh, I see a date and I say it, sorry. (laughs) So, but anyway, no, um, it's not something, you know, I've been covering local governments for, since I was in my early twenties, I've never, I've never 
written on that before about somebody going back and officially changing what they said. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it either. And well, look, there there are times when minutes are amended. That's that's not necessarily uncommon in itself if there's a mistake. But he's his his position is not that the the minutes were wrong. It's that he wanted to add more what he thought of as I guess clarity to the commissioner's decision to adopt these electoral maps. And he said in an email to, I guess it was either to the county staff or the rest of the board or both, that, um, you know, the, this was in anticipation of a legal challenge to the maps and that, and that um, differently or better explaining their rationale for adopting those maps would um, I better protect them against something like that. And that's just, um, I've never Does seen it- that. If it, if it does go to court, doesn't a good lawyer say um, you changed what you said? I mean, you know, I I don't get yeah I'm, making it official does. It, it To me, it sounds like you're going back and saying that's not what I meant, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm definitely not an attorney, but I have asked some attorneys if just the the act of uh, of changing the record um is what you would think of as i guess like an aggravating factor so uh, uh, an evidence that what was done in the first place wasn't correct or right i don't know we'll see i uh, you know there's the possibility of a lawsuit i don't know if that's going to happen but uh if it does i think that the effort to change the minutes will become part of the story so I can see it. I mean, this wouldn't be a jury trial or anything, but, you know, just going to fictional courtroom scene, the, the lawyer turning to the jury and saying, I ask you to look what's on the official record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your Honor, I don't know spit about lawyering. <laughs> but I know when it's on record, it's the truth. And all the jury nods their heads and looks at each other. Yeah. This is going to make a great movie. The defense or the prosecutor just throws his hands up in the air and <laughs> gives up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other, other news. Uh, Sanford has a restaurant that is among the 11 best new restaurants in the country. Fonda Lupita was uh, honored by this website eater uh, as one of the best new restaurants in all of America. Which is I gotta say when, very when cool. the headline when the headline crossed my my eyes the first time, I I dismissed it because you see these kind of announcements all the time, like right. uh, local team wins World Series. Well, <laughs> you know your eleven year old team beat four other teams from South Carolina. It's not really the World Series, and so you you, you in our in our line of work, you kind of you see these grand gestures or these grand announcements and you think, well, there's gotta be a, there's gotta be a catch. Like it's, it's according to Sanford Mexican food.com or something. Right. <laughs> you know, but no, no, this is, this is legit. The, you know, eater in my really quick and not very thorough research um, is uh, followed by 3 million people nationally and uh, has quite a following. And so, 
um, you look at the list of the other 10 and they're from uh, they're from Austin, they're from New York City, they're from Chicago, they're from Los Angeles. The, the smallest city that wasn't Sanford was Portland, Oregon. And that's, you know, almost that's more than half a million people. And so Sanford being on this list was uh, a surprise, but um, the, that's that's got to be great. It's going to be great for this place. Yeah, and Fonda Lupita is very, very good. It's a very good it restaurant. Yes. Um, and it's one of the businesses we featured in our Jonesboro, um, in our Jonesboro piece a few months back. And when we did that, uh, they gave me a free lunch there. And uh, they, because they said, Have you ever tried quesadilla? And I said, No, I don't know what this is. What is it? And they said, It's a fried taco. And I said, I want some fried taco. Yeah. So, <laughs> and it was like, uh, you know, stewed meat, um, carne asada with, uh, and, and a fried taco with all sorts of good cheese. And then you dip it into a, it's like a, it's a, like a Mexican French dip. Yeah. It's, it's it, it was, qu- it was quite the good. And so, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, the way these things work is uh, the eater has regional writers and whoever their Carolina regional writer was uh, really loved this place and, and thought it enough to place it above anything out of Charlotte and Raleigh and, you know, anything out of probably the Virginia and South Carolina area as well. And uh, that's, that's, it's quite a, it's quite a, a nod, I think. And I think uh, it's well-deserved. Absolutely. You, you referenced the, um, you know, some of these dubious ranking websites and uh, related. And speaking of dubious ranking websites, the rant was ranked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the, what I mean. <laughs> yeah. The rant was ranked. Oh, now we're, oh, we're down to number 13. We were number 11. Oh, wait, this is an ongoing list. I guess it was, it was number 11 when I posted it. Um, okay. We were the ranked the 11th, uh, the 11th biggest political blog. The, the, uh, out, of, out of 15 top North Carolina, top 15 North Carolina politics blogs at something called Feedspot, <laughs> which yeah, is feed incredibly spot. dubious. I, I don't think that we're a political blog, um, although there is a tag. If you if you click through, the rant is ranked now number 13. Um, we had been number 11, so um, we're, we were a spot ahead of WUNC, North Carolina Public Radio, <laughs> Um and now, you know, we're, it's funny. now we're a spot behind them. It's funny though. I googled feed spot in the rant, and the first thing that comes up is the top three Sanford news websites. Whoa, and really? Like, yeah, number one is the rant. <laughs> nice. What number are the other ones? City of, number two is City of Sanford. And uh, I'm going to guess the Herald is third, but they don't list a number three. <laughs> yeah, this... on their top on their top three list, they list two. So. This uh, this the the one I'm looking at says uh, top 15 and it stops at 14. So <laughs> we're second from last. Their, their math is is a bit you know. But I mean th- this this says that it is um, ranked by traffic, social media followers, domain authority, and freshness. So okay. I know of some other political blogs that are not on this list. So maybe Did the haymaker make it. No, okay. Daily Haymaker is not listed. All right, yeah, I'm I'm looking at the site now too, and uh, yeah, we're on here with some really good ones. Politics NC, I I'm not familiar with that one. That only has 
2.6 thousand followers, NC Political News under 2,000. Then you get to NC Policy Watch, which is number three, and uh, they're quite, you know, they're quite followed. They're 27,000 followers, and then 26,000 for the Progressive Pulse, which is number four. Which um, is also NC Policy Watch. So I don't. Yeah. I, there's not a whole lot that went into this. Uh, John Locke Foundation, number six, Blue NC, number seven, so on and so on. Um, we beat old North state politics. So. Yep. yep. Well, let's see. This says we have 8.7 thousand face or 8.7 thousand Facebook followers. I think that's correct. Yeah, that sounds about um, right. It's a number that hasn't really gone up a lot because um, I feel like we've saturated, you know, the, the local market anyway, as far as how many followers you can get on Facebook. But uh, no, it says 9.5 thousand people follow us, um, 8, 8.7 people like us. So I guess they're going by the likes. Yeah. But we have, we have 9,400 followers. I don't know what the difference is there. Can you like us? I mean, can you follow us and not like us? Yes. So there's 800 people out there that they yeah. care about us enough to follow us. But, but they don't want to like us. But they don't want to like us. I don't like that Billy. <laughs> Uh, speaking of, a, I don't like that Billy. I got a few. I don't like that Billy emails this week. Which oh was, yeah, uh, about what? Yeah, I don't get those. I, you know my my column was uh, was uh, just kind of dumb this week. It was about oh, yeah. you know <laughs> it was it was kind of a a uh, I I just I didn't have anything to write about, and I said I'm just going to start writing, and it turned into one of those um, you know just write what I think as I think it, and it sure. was turned out pretty dumb. Just a few people um, emailed me and said, uh, um, "Oh, okay." There's only one bad one. I take that back. And then I got a lot of support. People saying, "Keep keep writing like that. We like that." And so, but the one person, and I always only focus on the the one person. I don't have it in front of me, but they said, uh, um, "Stop wasting our time." Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. You don't have to read it. You, you really don't. I mean. I suppose it's there if you want to, but, uh, but yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, but no, I want to, um, and I haven't responded to these people yet and I'm about to, I'll do it today, but I got some, some emails from people that said, uh, we enjoy not only the writing you do, but the writing that the rant does. And so, um, I get a lot of in-person feedback about the rant. I don't get a lot of emails. Um, but I have, um, uh, I've had a realization in, in recent months that, um, you know, we've got to monitor the comments we get on the website and on the Facebook because, you know, that seems like good business. And I try to leave stuff up as much as possible, regardless of whether I agree or disagree with it. But I've realized that being in a line of work where you get instant feedback from the general public at large can be uh, stressful. <laughs> <laughs> like it is we we put this stuff out and it's out there for you know people to respond to immediately and that, that takes a toll after a while it does but one of the things i have discovered is is when we worked at the herald and when i worked at any previous newspaper part of the joy of living in a community with a newspaper is dissing that newspaper right and and uh if you disagree with with the editor, um, you let them have it. If you think that all they're doing is bad news, you let them have it. 
if you disagree with their political endorsement, you let them have it. And I think, I think the, the, the human mind does it um, because there's a level of joy that they get out of doing that. And, and, (laughs) and so I've always, I developed a thick skin over the years because I understood that if, if they weren't, telling me that they hated me they'd be telling whoever was sitting in this spot that they hated me you know it's yeah and i'm not talking about like feedback that says you guys are you guys are stupid jerks yeah because we like those we we share those with each other and and we get a good laugh out of them but 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 i found what's different with the rant is because of our approach i think our approach which is a really good blend of tongue-in-cheek but also important serious when we have to be serious um i think people appreciate that and i think it um it uh when we put our guards down like that i think it makes it less enjoyable for them to tell us we're terrible because they know we're going to get a good laugh out of that or we're going to come back with a with a instead of a combative remark we're going to come back with a but we love you remark, you know? Right. And, uh, and I think it makes people less inclined to tell us that they hate us because they know we don't care as much if you hate us, as opposed to if this was, you know, our, our full-time job and this is what we do. And, and you know, that your words bite and they hurt. Um, I, I think we get fewer of those because they know we're, a lot of what we're doing is fun. And uh, so I don't know. That's just an observation I had. We, we get less hate mail because I feel like um, even if you totally disagree with what we're doing, I think people still enjoy that we're doing it in this approach, I guess. And right. So I guess, I guess what I was saying, I meant was stressful and I'm not knocking people who have an opinion about public issues. That's a good thing. And, and discourse is good. It's um in addition to learning enough about a topic or event to then distill it down to a readable form and then publish it and get it out there, it's that the the job isn't over then um, because for the next day, two days, three days, four days, you then have to sort of moderate in a way, the discussion, even if it's just monitoring what's being said to make sure that nobody's threatened to kill somebody else or something like that. And that, um, that can wear on you. It can being hyper aware of everybody's opinion. I think you're more aware of it because, um, because you're catching a lot more of the things that we really should delete. Whereas (laughs) when I write a column now, um, I tend to not read any comments about it, and um, and if I do post my column online and I see that there's comments, I just don't read them. Oh, I do because I read the, yes, I read the responses to your columns. Oh, to mine, but do you yeah. do to yours? Yeah, I read the responses to everything because I mean, it's, it just seems just, like a, a, a it seems like a best practice to make sure that you know what people are saying. It, it is a best practice, but it's also. I've, I've hit a point where I just don't care. I don't care uh-huh. if you don't like it. I care if you like it. I do, but I'm not going to go combing through the, the likes. I'm not going to go combing through the dislikes to go find some likes, you know, I'm uh, that's just, 
it's glutton for punishment there. And I just, uh, you know, especially when I write something that has any, like, like the one I'll have next month, there's, it'll have a, it, it's sort of about critical race theory and it's what I think it's how I grew up and it's my life. And I just don't need, I'm not writing it so I can change people's minds, I guess. I'm writing it to I to what I hope is make a, a thoughtful insight on something that a lot of people are talking about. I'm not doing it to change people's minds. And I think a lot of people get this feeling that you're trying to indoctrinate them. You're trying to make this a more liberal you know, city or something like that. That's not the case. I mean, I have a strong opinion about it. And I'm going to share my opinion because I have this platform. But you also have your platforms, and I'm not going to go. That's the other thing I don't do. I, I I've stopped commenting on other people's things because yep. there's just no point. There is absolutely just no point to it. This the the realization I talked about that that being you know having to monitor all these comments becomes a little bit stressful has um, absolutely tempered my commenting on other things because yeah. it, to me it's um, it's like howling into the great void, you know. And when I would have family members that would just post just just insanely dumb things, I would comment it in the past, thinking that, well, I'm going to provide a voice of reason to this thing that's obviously wrong. And you know what? They don't care. They just don't <laughs> care. And even in the points where I would point out, this is actually wrong. You know, I mean, this is actually wrong. They would say, "Well, that's Snopes. Snopes is funded by by Bill Gates." And you know, okay, yep. no, never mind. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, the, this one one comment we got: we Richard Sullins did a story on the city of Sanford's equity task force, um, which uh, made some recommendations to the city council about how to create a more equitable community, um, and. You know the report on it. I thought I believe in equality. Fairly, equity. fairly dispassionate, and that is so. That is so close to getting it. Um, <laughs> you know that is so close to getting it. But um, the, the 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 comment that I'm talking about says equity task force. More of the BS liberal agenda at play. More gimme, gimme, gimme. What I didn't earn and I'm not willing to work for. Sickening. Okay, that's an opinion. I don't agree with that opinion, but. That's that's an opinion that somebody expressed, but then they close the comment with the rant is a liberal rag. <laughs> well, like we didn't make that happen. We just <laughs> sent somebody to cover it and they reported what happened. And I guess because oh. we didn't say that this is a bad thing, um, that necessarily means that, you know, we're a liberal rag. And that's well, I mean, we, we cracks me are. up. Well, we can I, be at look, times. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to disagree it's just that because we wrote about this thing that happened that our government's doing and you would assume that people want to know about what their government's doing i would love to see a conservative um a conservative foil or or not even foil because i would i would embrace it a, a conservative version of what we do i would love to see it i would absolutely love to see it because i don't think i don't think people who who label us liberal if you read if you read any edition of us or if you go through our site it's 95% to straight reporting you know and and, and not even on political topics 
no, 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 it's not. And there's the 5% where you can label us liberal. Yes. From our opinion pieces, from maybe our, you know, under the table jabs at, uh, not, you know, not even under the table, just our, you know, our little jabs at some local elected officials here and there. But 95% of it is, is just straight news reporting. You know, we wrote about freaking bike trails this, this past month. That's <laughs> how is there even, you know, unless you just want to say, um, you know, they're just supporting the, the liberal local government who's wasting money and spending, or I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you can spend it politically in some way, but, but that's just, that's mostly what we do. We write about weddings. We write about the wedding industry, write about bike trails, we write about Santa Claus and things like that. And, um, and I, I just think if a conservative publication were to come up, they wouldn't be able to do that same thing. They would become, it would become, well, you know, the, the haymaker pretty much. When, when you said you'd love to see a foil, I mean, I think it's existed. The, the first real, you know, web-based news presence here was um, Keith Clark's Ely Dispatch. Yeah, and that. what's funny about that is it was it was terrible, but in retrospect, he was he was ahead of the curve, you know. Yeah, <laughs> making it completely digital and and uh, um, it's what everything is today. And, and he, he started it, and he did it as a hobby. Um, yeah, it, he was. I mean, he he beat us on some stories back when we were at the Herald. His he his did. his work influenced our coverage of the news um he, he got readership he uh i feel like and again we we kicked him a lot but um because he kicked us a lot uh there was one point he ran a picture of one of our reporters blinking or looking down at her notes or something in a meeting and said <laughs> she was blog a... post about how she fell asleep in the meeting yeah that was that <laughs> which was, was terrible because yeah, you know she's this early 20s you know the whole career ahead of her and and this lives on the website. And so, you know, I had to go after him for that, but just some of his, some of his, uh, uh, you know, some of his, the way he went about things was wrong, but overall, you know, he, he was good at what he did. And then, you know, following that, there was the, um, the, the founding fathers, the, the founding fathers cosplay political blog in which, um, people pretending to be James Madison and Thomas Jefferson and whatever else uh, wrote about local government from the perspective of a ghost. Um, yeah. That's, that's no longer there, but I think that to, to go back to what you said, the rant has been successful because we do talk about politics and yes, we're open about where we are politically and, and what we think, but it's, it, it is a fraction of what we do. And and I don't think that if anyone did want to start a quote unquote right sided version of what we do, that they would be able to follow that same format. It would just be completely political and, and that's fine, but that only gets you so far. That doesn't, you know, you don't, you don't get advertisers with that. You don't, um, you don't get readers from both sides with that. You're pretty much just preaching to one side and uh Yeah. And that is why we're the 13th best political blog in North Carolina.
Yeah, it's tomorrow. He's playing with the Greensboro Symphony Orchestra, so I have no idea what that means. I, I think it probably means I don't get to hear every little thing she does is magic. Right. Sting, Sting presents Mannheim Steamroller. Yeah. yeah. Mannheim songs about magicians. Mannheim Stingroller. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>